On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be talking about things we have to spend money on. The list that people are saying are society's absolute essentials has grown very, very long. How do we do all this? How do we decide what to do? We're also going to be talking about The Social Dilemma, which is a new movie on Netflix, which you really should watch. But before you do, if you haven't already, take a listen because it is a warning about social media. And a warning that you probably should pay a little attention to because the people in the movie are the people who made the social media. They know what they're talking about. Stick around for that one. And we're going to have a conversation with Siri. See how she does. Enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. There are some things going on in the world of politics. Uh, I don't even need to do an introduction here. Let me just bring in Stephen LeDrew, former president of the Liberal Party of Canada, now a political commentator guy. We love having you on the show here when we want to dive through some issues. Stephen, thanks for doing this today. And I love being on your show, Scott. Uh, before we get into the stuff I really want to talk about, let me ask you something that uh, that dawned on me today. We've been hearing that the government right now is meeting, holding its retreat to sort out what it's going to be doing, and they're all together in a hotel somewhere, and they're brainstorming. And Stephen, if they can all be together in this hotel, in this room, meeting and coming up with these ideas, and that's safe, how is it too dangerous to be in the House of Commons holding government? Well, just generally, as Mr. Trudeau does, do as I say, not as I do. And um, he is going to say that they all can't meet in the House of Commons because he doesn't want the House of Commons to meet. He got the agreement of the NDP, Scott, as you well know, to, um, to not meet, even before he prorogued, they weren't meeting. Um, in the House of Commons, and um, he doesn't want the uh, House of Commons to be fully personed up, I guess, uh, because he just wants to bring out his speech from the throne, talk about how he's going to bring in a green Canada, he's going to talk about how he's going to give everybody lots of money, he's going to talk about the new economy and how they can spend money and not need to pay it back, and then he wants us to just sit out there and be without discussion or debate. Um, it's going to be unbelievable, but, uh, you're absolutely right when you're thinking about that, you know, I mean, uh, but, but the legislature's back. Yeah. Ontario. Yeah. You wear yeah I, I, I just, I just thought it was an odd thing that it's too dangerous to be in the house of commons, but it's okay to get together for the retreat. And, uh, it just, it doesn't seem to me to make any sense. Well, you wait, said, no, wait, Scott, is this, not yes. the, is this the first time Trudeau has done something that doesn't seem to make any sense? <laughs> I'll leave that for you to make, <laughs> to make that call. Um, you mentioned though about the throne speech and it's coming in a few weeks and we, right. we keep hearing about this, these new spending initiatives that we're going to do and the green economy and the equitable economy and this and that. And I, I'm now starting to wonder, Stephen, whether or not all that we've been hearing is really just a giant trial balloon that hasn't necessarily been met with a lot of enthusiasm. And it's a big psych job. And when the throne speech is actually given, it's going to be way more subdued and way more not as spendy as we may be led to believe. That could very well be the case because these trial balloons, I mean, for your audience benefit, these are not just reporters making things up. These are studied intentional leaks being given out to the media, uh, as you say, to, uh, to see what people think about it. Um, but there's enough going on in the polling. I mean, there is a poll the other day where Trudeau is still way ahead of the Conservatives, where I think that the Liberals will take this and say, well, we are going to make it green because our supporters want it, and we are going to make these, quote, bold steps to have a guaranteed income, and we are going to spend like crazy because... We don't care about the next generation. We just want to get back into power. And if he can give a great speech in the throne, in their own point of view, I think from, from my point of view, it won't be great at all. It won't be liberal. It'll be more like Trudeau's own uh, glamour party. Um, and if Canadians are sucker enough to go for it again, um, then there will be, I think, uh, a snap election. There will be a fall election. And he'll say, yeah. we need a, major a majority government to guide all us Canadians through this COVID crisis, through the economic crisis, I need a mandate. And um, I think that we could be into election. I'm not sure I agree with the idea that they don't care about the next generation. What I do think, though, I'm not sure if 
I'm not sure if it's that or, or, or just a, we're not really sure how to handle all the things that we've got to deal with today. So let's just not worry about tomorrow and, no, and, as opposed to something else. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, that's fair. I, I, I'd uh, support you on that, that of course they're going to say they care, but they care more about getting reelected than, um, than uh, worrying about things that they can worry about later or that other uh, governments and prime ministers will worry about later. But back to your intro, I think it is sort of um, it is sort of odd and funny that the cabinet's meeting and, and you know it's a, it's a it's a brain trust um, because we've learned before even with uh, the we situation anything can go through cabinet and no one's going to, to peep anything in opposition or in uh, in uh, whether we should have a sober second thought about this or whether there's alternatives. Um, Today it came up about something going through the Prime Minister's office. And I said, you know, I said, we learned again from we when the Chief of Staff said, well, we had a whole meeting about this, and not one person said anything about a conflict of interest with the uh, Kielbergers. Well, then they should all be fired. (laughs) These people are not doing their jobs. The jobs of staff are to point out foibles, to point out out problems, to point out things that uh, the elected people do not fully understand. The other reason, Stephen, that I suggested that maybe we're not going to see quite the spending bonanza that we keep hearing about, there was a tweet or a comment or something from Gerald Butts, who people will remember that name, the Prime Minister's former chief advisor. And even he said, uh, and I can't remember the exact words, I don't have it in front of me, but we're not really in the dawn of this new era when people want all these plans. For a lot of people, we're still at midnight in the COVID thing, and we're not really sure we're ready to launch into this brave new world. If Gerald Butts is saying that, that seems to me to be taking some of the wind out of the sails. I uh, I hear you on that. On the other hand, I'm not sure how much influence Gerald Butts has anymore. And uh, Gerald Butts, uh, your listeners will will recall, is now in the real world of commerce. And um, he has to know about business as opposed to government, which just taxes and spends. He has to look at bottom lines. And maybe he's starting to realize that when he's advising businesses, which is what his job is, he can't just go up there and be saying, well, spend these billions of dollars and hope, like Dalton McGinty's liberals did, um, that it works. Because it didn't. It just cost a fortune. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Stephen, I want to give you this list because over the last day or so, I started jotting down, and it's not a complete list, but I started jotting down some of the things over the last number of weeks that people at one time or another have said is essential. We must spend more money on this, that, or the other. Here's my incomplete list right now. Long-term care, universal basic income, National Pharmacare, housing, affordable housing, public transportation, greater ex- uh, uh, exposure or availability of health care, a national vaccine, a pandemic warning system, universal free university tuition, greater money for education at all different levels. And of course, we also have to pay off our debt, which we pay something like 40 or $50 billion a year just on interest. If I'm sitting around the government decision board right now, where the heck do I even start with those? Because there's no possible way we can do all of that. Agreed. And I don't. But where do we start? One listener of yours who would who would say that, that they agree with that. I mean, this is this is like a five year old writing out their Christmas list and saying, "I want a horse, and I want this, and I want all these things." And you know, it's just impossible. Uh, it's simply not going to happen. And and. I would argue, if we had the time, that it should not happen. Government is not in the business of taking care of all the needs of every person in the country from the time they're born till the time their final rest. It's simply not in that business. And the whole idea of the government providing all this, in my mind, is, is the antithesis of getting out there and hustling and working and, um, and providing a livelihood for yourself and your family. A lot of people just said, oh, you know what, Stephen, you are privileged and you are a guy who doesn't understand and I'm struggling. And and, and look, I, I, I would hear the exact same thing because I look at this list and as I said, I only wrote down things that came to mind 
that people have absolutely vigorously argued we must have. We must have these things. These are not the the luxuries. These are the must-haves in our country to be a decent country. Right. And I'm blown away when I try and look at them all. And you have to uh, get out there and work hard to get that. And I would argue with anybody who says that I am, um, you know, privileged. I certainly am not. And I was behind the eight ball for a long time, and I had to work hard. And then I got a prime minister's office that smacked me down, so I had to start over again. So, um, and and I've always, and I brought up my children that way as well. I just think that you know the idea of government providing everything is not what government's supposed to do. And I'm a liberal. People say, well, you're no longer a liberal. I am a liberal. I am not a Justin Trudeau fan because I think he has taken over the Liberal Party and ruined it. But when I was president of the Liberal Party, there were smart people who had the party's interest first. The party was there to provide good government. So, Scott, with that list, I just think that it's just cheap politics. I think it's bad politics. I think it's bad for the country. And, um, you know, it's more like the, the NDP of old, which want to give everything. And uh, that's simply not the way... Mm-hmm that government should operate. And I think we're going to find, Scott, that governments cannot operate that way because people are going to say, well, you know what? I'm just not going to start paying taxes or I'm not going to do X, Y, and Z. There are people in this country, billionaires, who should be taxed more and more and more. But the middle class should not be taxed to pay for these crazy programs for people who want to have everything given to them. Let me go back to the list for just a second, not to show that it's, you know, a complete list, but... Long-term care in Ontario, if Doug Ford doesn't do something about long-term care, he'll be decimated for that because that's been a huge problem. Universal basic income is apparently on the table right now federally. National pharmacare is what the NDP have seemingly one of the things that they're wanting to trade support for the Liberals for getting. Affordable housing is now either at the municipal or provincial level a hot topic. Same with public transport. You go down this list and again... I agree with what you say. It is impossible for us to do all these things. And yet I don't see anything on this list that if any government doesn't do it, they don't get hammered for not doing because they're not caring then. They're not a caring government that cares for the people. I would argue that if you're a caring government, you're going to allow people the freedom to, to work and to earn and not have to pay over 55 or 60% to the government in taxes because... You should be able to decide what you do with your money and not have some bureaucrat in Ottawa or Queen's Park decide what they are going to do with your money. And yes, you provide, I think, I, I agree with you, Scott, nursing homes, all of SARS, uh, sorry, SARS, well, SARS did it as well. I've done it, I've done it too. <laughs> but all of COVID has, has shown that what a lot of people knew for ages, the nursing home industry in Ontario is a sham. It is, it's horrible how people are, um, are cared for in many, many nursing homes, totally funded by the government. And it's about time that governments get in there and put in some uh, good inspectors and make sure that elderly people are cared for in dignity and, and, and cared for properly. But uh, so th- those are things that you have to do, which is not going to cost that much more money. It's a matter of a discipline. And if we had more discipline in government then we would have better government. But to say that we're going to be writing checks for everybody, don't anybody be fooled when a government says, well, we're going to do this, we're going to pay for it. It's you that's going to pay for it, and your taxes are going to go up, and you're going to have less money to decide what you want to do with it. It's just, it's just it's standard, uh, you know, it's standard political thinking. Stephen LeDrew, always love having you on. Thanks for taking some time today. Oh, it's always a pleasure chatting with you, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. So last night after the show, I did some work and then sat on the big chair in the basement and turned on the TV and watched a movie called The Social Dilemma. You may have heard something about it. You may have heard it even being talked about on this station before. I think both Bill and Scott at one time or another have talked about it. And it was pretty much exactly as described. It was a movie that, boy, if you needed pause to make you have doubts about the time you spend on social media or your kids spend on social media, this was it. Let me read something from the New York Times. Their review of this movie under the headline, 
Unplug and Run in the subhead. This documentary explores how addiction and privacy breaches are features, not bugs, of social media platforms. Let me read you the first two paragraphs. That social media can be addictive and creepy isn't a revelation to anyone who uses Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the like. But in Jeff Orlowski's documentary, The Social Dilemma, conscientious defectors from these companies explain that the perniciousness of social networking platforms is a feature, not a bug. They claim the manipulation of human behavior for profit is coded into these companies with Machiavellian precision, infinite scrolling and push notifications keep users constantly engaged. Personalized recommendations use data not just to predict, but also to influence our actions, turning users into easy prey for advertisers and propagandists. I want to bring in Wade Sorkin. He's the author of Unsocial Media, Virtual World Causing Real World Anxiety. He is one of Canada's leading social media addiction experts. We're excited to have him here. Wade, thanks for doing this today. Scott, thanks for having me. You know, when, I, I don't know if, I'm sure you've probably watched this movie by now. If you haven't, I'm sure you've heard lots about it from other people, knowing what you do and what you talk about. Um, I, you know, I don't want to overstate the word, because if I say terrifying, that's, you know, that's probably too much. It wasn't terrifying, but my goodness, it was awfully concerning. Well, it is concerning, and, and this is not new. I mean, uh, social media, when it first came out, what, 16, 17, 18 years ago, it was designed to be addictive. It was designed to keep you on there and to track what you do and and everything you do is is going to be monitored and tracked and it's out there forever. When I speak to to young people across uh, Canada in schools, I say, you know, think before you hit that send button and 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 because it's out there forever, you can't get it back. So yeah, it, you know, the the thumbs up for Facebook that was designed to give people, users, a, a shot of dopamine. Every time they got a thumbs up that somebody liked something, it's like everyone likes to have friends. We all want friends. All of a sudden, wow, I've got a friend. I've got someone who likes me. So that thumbs up was meant to give you that hit of dopamine. And now with uh, the smartphone, uh, you're getting that, that hit of dopamine all the time, uh, you know, being online and getting all this response and everything. So, yeah, definitely. I, I wouldn't call it terrifying, but I, it's a wake-up call that's been there for years, but now more than ever, people need to be aware of this. And your point about that this has been around for 16 years or so, and so we've known, I think we've suspected. I mean, this is one of those times when you have all these people who have worked within those programs, within those companies coming forward, that you move it from suspecting to them actually saying very directly, yeah, this is exactly what we were doing. We were intentionally getting you addicted to influence and change your behavior. That's a little bit different from believing that was what was happening. You know, you're absolutely right. And, and Sean Parker, former president of Facebook, uh, here's his quote now. It's addictive, and it exploits a vulnerability in human psychology. It literally changes your relationship with society, with each other. And he says, God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. So exactly yeah. what you just said, Scott, he now realizes. Now, I don't you know, you know, he knew what they were doing back then, but he now realizes the ramifications of it and how it's really evolved and how it is affecting people. And he does not allow his own children on, on social media. And here's another quote. I don't let my kids use the iPad. We limit how much technology our kids use at home. That's Steve Jobs. <laughs> well, and, and you know, the dopamine thing too, uh, you know, what, what always is amazing to me, and look, I, I'm, as, I'm as susceptible as the next person to it. Uh, you know, we all are, which is the weird part. Even though we know what's going on, we can still be victim to it. But many times I've caught myself saying, why does it get my attention when suddenly the thumb goes up on my phone or whatever else, who cares? It's not a thing. It's not a real thing. And yet, as you say, Wade, it, it works. And if you're a kid, if you're in those teenage years when uh, people liking you and being accepted and everything else is so important, this is, this is the hyperactive liking and social acceptance thing that you crave. I think uh, social media uh, overall is the biggest threat to to mental health today, and especially our young people. You hit it on the head there, Scott, that, that they're, they're, they're experiencing higher levels of anxiety, depression, body dysfunction, body dysmorphia, you know, because they're focusing so much on their body with the selfies and the mere selfies and, and looking for all these likes. And the anxiety 
uh, induced cycle of trying to get likes, trying to yes. get friends, trying to yes. get, and, it, and, and it's never enough. And like with any addiction, it's never enough. And that's why, and, and these social media sites know that, that people will never get enough of the likes, never get enough of the comments. And FOMO, which is fear of missing out, is huge amongst young people. They are so hooked on it because they don't want to miss out on anything. So they're right in there. And, and the social media platforms know that they've got these kids, but it's really affecting uh, their mental and physical health. Well, Wade, I, I don't know if you use social media, but let, let's say you're like 99.999% of other people. If you do, if you ever take a selfie or post a picture, you never post the crappy moments of your life. You post no. the good moments of your life, which shows just how wonderful everything is. And so then all your friends, and I, I'm putting you now in the body of a teenager, but all your friends see, man, your life is way better than mine right? Because my life is no, and, and, and you now have yep. to try and catch up and it makes you, uh, that, that's to me is when I look at it, I go, how do you possibly compete if you're a you kid can. and you're looking and everyone else's life is always better than yours? No, nope. social media has trained, especially young people, but even, you know, I speak to, to, uh, you know, people of all ages, They're, the addiction is for all ages, but, but young people are so vulnerable. Social media is training us to compare our lives to others and not appreciate our own lives. And you're absolutely right. People great only point. post the perfect posts. And, and, and the, in my book, I have this study that the first thing I did in my book, I looked at all these studies out there, and this one out of Germany that says the, the biggest cause of envy and resentment and anxiety and depression was people looking at other people's posts, but specifically people's vacation photographs. They post that perfect vacation photographs of the kids on the beach and everything. Of course, you don't know what the rest of the vacation was like. It could have been hell on <laughs> wheels. Uh, but, but it was the perfect post. And people go, and then Facebook reminds you year after year to repost your memories just to tick people off even more. Because people look at that. <laughs> And they look at it and go, you know what? We can't afford a vacation like that. You don't know if these people actually did pay for it. You know, it could, they could be up on credit on, on all this stuff and, and, and close to bankruptcy, but they still took that vacation. So people look at that, but they don't know what's really behind that. But you're right. They do compare that and they go, yeah, I wish I could take a vacation like that. The, the flip side of that is that you also on social media. So if you can now have all the good stuff that you're trying to catch up with, there's also the stuff where you get criticized or something on social media. And, you know, for the longest time I, I tried to figure out, you know, we probably all of us at one time or another were either bullied or criticized or something at school to different degrees. Nobody got through right. their childhood unscathed. Nope. And I was wondering, is social media bullying worse than just old fashioned bullying that you used to, you used to get? And I have to think, yes. I, it is because social media bullying carries with the child forever now it's out there if you got bullied on a on a school playground back in the 60s or 70s that's where it ended uh but now it carries with the kid and, and there's so many you know beautiful young people who are taking their own lives because of that bullying online and and being convinced by just words on a post that says you're ugly and you should you should kill yourself and that's how serious people take social media the, a young girl or young boy looks at that and go oh it must be true. And it's like, I, you know, I say in my presentations to young people, we need to redefine, or to the parents especially, we need to redefine beauty because social media and, and pop culture and the magazines and the Kardashians of the world and everything, it's all superficial stuff. We got to instill to the, our, our children that they're, they're, they're good people, they're good friends, they're fierce, they're, they're funny, they have a good sense of humor, you know, you're, you're, you're a good friend, all that kind of stuff. So that when they get that other crap on social media, it'll just deflect off them because they know their self-worth isn't based on what other people say on, on social media. But how do you do that, Wade, when, and again, using you as the example, not really, but just because we're talking, that you're the dad and you're telling your kid, well, you're a dork if you're the dad. What's way more important to me is the is my friends and their comments. So dad can tell you, don't pay attention to what they're saying. Yeah. I mean, you're fighting. It's a circular fight that you're going it against. It is a because circular the, fight. And you're absolutely right. And I tell parents, it says, you can tell them that the most beautiful person in the world, but they get that one negative comment online and it will destroy them. And that's why I say we have to build up their character so that that it doesn't really affect them of what, what's said about superficial comments like that. So you build them up as, as their character 
and they should be able to deflect that. But you're right. Social media is so it is the biggest, most important thing in a in a young person's life is social media. And that's why I tell parents when they say, well, when how old should my child have their first uh, cell phone? And I say, well, never. But anyway, I, you know, realistically, I say the longer you wait, the better. And it should be a need versus a want. And how responsible and self-disciplined is your child? Because once you put that addictive device in their hand, you're going to have a heck of a time trying to get it back if it wasn't the right decision. Well, and yeah, and let's swing back to this documentary where we got this thing started from. And that is, even if you do all the right things, if we now believe that the algorithms and everything else is designed specifically not only to be addictive, but also to lead you to change your behaviors, change your attitudes, influence your behaviors. Look, as as a parent, you could be the best parent in the world. You have no defense against that with your kid if they have a phone in their hand. No, no. But I mean, it's still, you know, it comes down to good parenting and good monitoring. You have to be monitoring your kids all the time. I run into so many parents across Canada, great parents, but others who say, I'm just at a loss here. You know, the, their friends, you know, have this much level of, of freedom on their phones and I want to have it down here. And, and then I just say, well, who's the parent here? And do you want them to be right or do you want them to be popular? You know, so, so there is a big responsibility for parents now more than ever to really monitor what their kids are on and what they're doing. And I even had one parent say, well, I don't want my child to think I don't trust them. So I give them all that freedom. I says, it's not about trust. It's about safety. And you're right. Everyone's being influenced now. It's not just an addictive thing. Now you're being influenced to you know, clickbait and, and you're influenced to buy something. You're influenced to go with this area. You're influenced to go into this thing. And, and, and like young people, a lot of them just all follow that. You know, TikTok is a, is a great example how you get a, uh, an app like that that, that just, just creates more and more interest and all, every, all the kids want to be on this. Or even on the negative side, the Tide Pod t- Challenge. One, one kid puts a challenge out there, let's eat Tide Pods, and everyone follows. That's how powerful social media can be for a young, a young mind. But I don't understand, and you're right, but I don't understand how, I mean, our kids are not idiots, they, they aren't idiots. They, they do have some no, brains and how this device can make them into idiots. I know, but their brains aren't developed fully yet. So not, yeah, you're right. They're not idiots, but they're more vulnerable. All right. So explain then, we've been talking about kids, explain how it is that we seem to be governed in many ways by many politicians who, you know, if there's a, uh, online social media swell of something that seems to be the way we're going to be. I mean, even it's not just kids that we, we've been talking about kids, but adults are as susceptible. Are they not? No, that's true. And, and that's just, again, to show the power of social media that infla- influences not only young people, but influences politicians. You know, they get this, this uh, thing that goes viral and then politicians think, well, we better pay attention to this because everyone's talking about it with maybe without maybe thinking first that, okay, let's, Let's do some critical thinking on this. Where's this coming from? Is it really an issue? Or is it just one of these, again, young people following the crowd on social media? How though, wait, okay, so let's go back to kids. How do you possibly undo this though? Once a kid has a phone, prying that phone out of their hands, you would have a better chance. I don't even know what my metaphor was going to be, but <laughs> no, I, I know where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> it's impossible because once you're on it, you're on it. How do you, how do you undo it? And that's why I say be very, very careful for, for the first time you decide this. Kids as young as seven now are getting their first cell phone, and I don't think that's necessary unless it's a real need. They're on two buses, you know, and, and, the, and they want to keep in contact. But then again, don't give them the latest, you know, iPhone 12 or 13 or whatever. Give them a flip phone. They're, you can still get them. They're hard to get, but give them a flip phone that just texts and calls. So, yeah, so first thing is, be very careful the first time you do it. Now, if it does become an addiction, and I have the experts in my book that say this, and I agree with this, so I, I looked up some experts and, and I got their quotes in here. What you do, uh, like with most addiction, you don't just take it away cold turkey because this thing has, like I said, has become the most important thing in their lives. And if you take it away, and we've seen this on shows like Dr. Phil, where the parents have tried to do that and the kids just literally spitting at the parents, kicking them, throwing tantrums, all that kind of So don't take it away. There are good tips that expert have, experts have, and I can give you a few of them. One is don't do it cold turkey. What you do is, is you start to limit 
And then you also reward good behavior in the real world with online time. So instead of them always being in their bedrooms on their phones and, 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 and uh, distant from the family, you bring them back into the family and you tell them, you know, we have this family time. The more you're, you're doing stuff here with us in the real world, then we reward you with, uh, with online activity. But again, the, the Canadian the Pediatric Society and the United, United States Pediatric Society, American Society, recommends a maximum of two hours a day for teenagers. That's for optimum mental health, two hours. So, but the average right now is 7.8, so kids are really off the chart. Uh, I, I think there's going to be an awful lot of parents who are forcing, against their will, but forcing their kids to sit down and watch this movie because the parents are going to watch it and then go, yeah, you, what just happened? Um, yeah. If but we know to include include the children in this decision making, as you know, they don't just be the 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 you know the the dictator saying, okay, this is what we're doing. If that addiction has gone on, the longer it's gone on, the the more you have to work with them to bring them back to a more reasonable uh, uh, balance between the virtual world and the real world. But if we know. All right. So now we as adults and our kids have sat down and watched this movie. And by the way, I would encourage people to, to watch it. It's an hour and a half yes. of your life that is well yep. worth, yep. uh, watching. But so we sat down with our kids, adults and kids. We now are aware of what social media is doing and how it's doing it. Am I cynical or am I naive to believe that we could then make behavioral changes? Because I think we're going to watch it and we're going to say, oh, now we know what it's going to do. And a lot of people still, despite knowing what's happening, will not be able to control themselves. No, exactly. And and I use this, this, this uh, sentence all the time. I say, you can't drag people across the finish line, you know, whether it's an alcohol addiction, a drug addiction, pornographic addiction, or whatever. They have to be the one, and I say in my presentations, you have to admit first that there's a problem. You have to, as a parent, admit that you have a problem yourself. And, and that's what the experts say, too. You know, identify the addiction in you before you start working on your children because you're modeling this, so you better model it the right way. And the whole thing is, you know, showing that modeling of, of, of that because the addiction is so strong that, uh, as I said, the further you're into it, the harder it is. But there is hope if everyone admits that there is a problem and we're going to make a change for the better. You see, I wouldn't get a speaking gig across Canada if I just went out there and said, okay, let's get rid of social media and cell phones completely. Let's all go back to 1974. You know, no one would say, you know, who is this old guy, right? But what I do say is identify the issues that are affecting your family, and there's going to be different issues for different families, but also it's about balance. Technology is here to stay, and this is a great time to be in the world with this technology. But when it starts to control you and it starts to affect you mentally, physically, and, and your family dynamic and all that kind of stuff, and it does, then you have to take action. And unfortunately, a lot of parents are not taking action because they're scared of their kids or they themselves are just as addictive. Yeah, just before I let you go, one word that you have used, I think I've used it too, but that you've used and you're the expert and you've probably said it five times is addict or addiction. There are those uh, who have said there's no such thing as a social media addiction that we are we're addicts to drugs or to booze or whatever else, but this is not an addiction. Uh, uh, is the tide turning? Like, do people acknowledge now that there is an addiction to or a possibility of a real addiction to this? Yes, and it has for a number of years now, and it's 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 the same as you know like compulsive gambling when it comes to uh, use with uh, video games. They now equated that as an actual mental health disorder. It is an addiction. It's an addiction as strong as heroin and and ecstasy. And that's a quote from from doctors, psychologists, and everything. That's how strong the addiction is, and that's how we have to take it. I believe you know, the social media is like the heroin of of social media, you know, of technology. Uh, it is that addictive. So for people to say it's not addictive, then they, they're, they're not informed. My book would, would inform them. The experts would inform them and say it's just as addictive as any uh, drug out, illicit drug out there because it gives you that same dopamine hit. And when you can, and is that the, is that the addiction weight? Is it, is it yes. really an addiction to dopamine? It's the addiction to, to the dopamine hit that you get from, from uh, what we've just been talking about, social media. And with the dopamine hit, what? You always want to go back to where you got that hit from over and over again. It is, uh, it, again, I, I would encourage people to, to take a watch. It's called The Social Dilemma. It's on Netflix. When you're done that, 
go on to Wade Sorkin's website, look up the book. He, the book is called Unsocial Media, Virtual World Causing Real World Anxiety. After watching this, you're probably going to have some anxiety about your own usage. So this, <laughs> this will be very helpful. Wade, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure, Scott. Uh, and Sorkin, by the way, just so you know, so you can look it up, S-O-R-O-C-H-A-N, Wade, S-O-R-O-C-H-A-N. You can look him up and uh, you can find his book there. But yeah, it's um, this movie was uh, was eye-opening. There, there's parts of it that are honestly, because it's, it's, it's interviews and other things mixed with some dramatic reenactments. And some of the dramatic reenactments are a little, you know, over the top, but the interviews, just listen to the people who worked in this industry and you will look at your phone very differently and your computer because they are acknowledging they built the programs. They built the algorithms. They designed them to get you addicted and then to change your behaviors. And if we allowed anybody else in any other thing to do that. Like if you welcomed someone into your life who said, I'm going to change your behavior and make it an, make you an addict, we'd probably say, what, is this a cult? Well, it's not the same thing, but my goodness, when, when you hear what they're saying about this, boy, your I think your opinion on social media will change. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. So we've just been talking about social media and computers and stuff. So of course we're going to try and use our computers, but something a little bit different. I saw some, I saw a list yesterday after the show of some of the questions that people have asked Siri, which is the voice activated person who answers your questions on your cell phone. If you're, you know, if you want to know, Hey, how do I get to the closest gas station? You can say, Hey Siri, and she will answer you. Ben, you knew the name of this person, right? The, the, there's an actual person who was behind this. Yeah. The real name of the lady who voices, um, Siri is named Susan Bennett. And funny enough, she actually follows my dad on Twitter. Well, as she should, but I don't know why they didn't just say, Hey Susan. <laughs> anyway, so Apparently the way this is set up is, um, you can ask Siri questions and she will answer, but some questions are, you would think not really exactly what Siri was programmed to answer. So let's do a little test here. For example, I'm going to hope that this works. Start with a very broad one. I'm doing it on my phone. So I'm hoping that everyone's going to be able to hear it because I'm going to hold it up to the microphone and we'll see what the answers are. Some of them, I have a guess what they might be, but I'm not really sure. Anyway, let's go to Siri here. Hey Siri, do you believe in God? Humans have religion. I just have silicon. <laughs> All right. There you go. That's a, a deep thought, I suppose. Shower thoughts with Siri. Shower thoughts with Siri. Okay, let's go to the next one here. We're going to go to a Bob Dylan song. Ooh. All right, this is a pretty good one. Hey Siri, how many roads must a man walk down? The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. that's very good (coughs) excuse me see she's she's intelligent she's very well done um all right uh ben you know who tim cook is i i feel like i do tim cook is the head of apple corporation now oh yeah he took over for steve jobs yes of course siri being the apple product so let's see about this one hey siri do you know tim cook I'm quite fond of him. <laughs> I guess she would be. I sure they, hope they, so. They've programmed this very well. Um, oh, here's a good one. Let's try this one that someone suggested we should ask. I, 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 I've, I knew the God answer that she was going to give. That was the only one so far that I thought we had. So let's try this one. See what comes up. This is a tougher one that, uh, that kids may want to be asking. Hey Siri, where do babies come from? From their mothers. Ugh, that's boring. I thought Siri was going to come up with something really good for that one. From their mothers. Yeah, well, it's true. It's true. Uh, let us keep going here. Um, I'm not going to ask that one. Apparently, there are some rude ones to ask, too, that Siri will answer. But um, Oh, my. Okay. Uh, ben, that song that was out that was a huge hit about six years ago. 
I can't remember the name of the group. What does the fox say? Oh, uh, I, I remember. You remember the song? I remember the song. What yeah, the yeah. fox say? Uh, dun, 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 yeah. All right. Well, let's find out if Siri knows what the fox says. <laughs> hey, Siri, what does the fox say? I think that's pretty close to what they said in the song, right? Pretty much. Yeah. It's just a bunch of (coughs) random sounds. It's by a band or a group called Ilvis, Wildvis. Ilvis. Yes. Ilvis. Yes. That was why to start. So I don't even know. One of the stupidest songs ever, but it was catchy. No question. It was catchy. Uh, Okay. Let's try this one. Got to load it up. Hey Siri, what's your favorite color? Software doesn't usually get to choose one, but I'll say red. What's yours? Oh, now it wants an answer for me. Well, I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) Siri doesn't get to know that kind of information. I like how that just completely flipped on you. Yeah, suddenly I was thrown off now. Now she should be saying, hey, Scotty. Uh, Although I hate Scotty. Let's go with Scott. Um, All right, let's try this one. This one, I'm betting Siri will know the answer to this one. Someone said you should ask this question. Hey, Siri, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck? A woodchuck would chuck as much wood as a woodchuck would chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood. But if a woodchuck could chuck woodchucks chucking wood, then a woodchuck could chuck wood chucking woodchucks. How about another tongue twister? <laughs> what just happened? I'm not sure. Somebody in the Apple programming department was drunk one day <laughs> and came up with that one because um, I that think- was... Um, that was excessive. I think they may have had a little too much Adderall or some sort of hyper-focusing thing and just went, oh no, I'm going to type this whole thing out. Somebody did. Somebody had to. And then Susan Bennett had to re- say the whole thing once upon a time. Well, actually, that was a tough one. That's the interesting thing about Siri though, is when she, Susan Bennett was doing the voicing for it, she didn't actually do proper full sentences. So she didn't have to say every word in existence in every possible inflection. What they ended up doing was they had her say random sounds and words. So that way, what you can do is you can then splice off the front of it. And that can now be used on so many different words. Take the ending of this. And that does so many other things. So in the end, you're actually just having her saying a bunch of nonsense that then just gets cobbled together. And it Uh, sounds uh, real. All right. So let's hear that one again to see if you can sort this one out. Hey Siri, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck? A woodchuck would chuck as much as a woodchuck could chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood. But he can't. How about another tongue twister? Oh, that was shorter. Susan Bennett and Siri got tired that time of saying it. Man, they're trying to subvert it. They're just going to go, uh-uh. I know what you're doing here. I wonder if there are different answers for these things. Let's go back for a second. Well, hold on. What was a good one that we did before? Um, what did she of- say? What's the truth to where babies come from? Are oh yeah. Okay. Dead? Let's try that one again. Hey Siri, where do babies come from? From their mothers. Boo, oh, Siri. She's, she's sticking with the story on that one. They, they, they probably said, don't get too far out on the, on a limb with that one. All right. Let's do a Hamilton Bulldogs one. Hey Siri, who let the dogs out? Due to unforeseen circumstances, that witticism has been retired. (laughs) (laughs) Wise move. Tired of that one too. Um, I suppose that's a lot better than if she was to start reading out due to copyright effort number 37789912. That is no longer available. Should we try a sexy one with Siri? Ooh. All right, let's try one. I don't know if this is, I don't know where she's going to go with this one. And keep in mind, I'm not really asking this question. I'm doing it for science. Science. Sure. Hey Siri, what are you wearing? Let's see. Okay. Just as I thought. The same as yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're not getting, we're not getting anything too raunchy out of her on that one. Okay. This will be a good one. And this one may give us more than one. Let's test this twice or three times and see if we get different answers. Hey, Siri, tell me a joke. My dog, Minton, ate a shuttlecock last night. Badminton? Poor inflection, right? That was was an inflection little problem. Let's try another one. Hey, Siri, tell me a joke. Here's one for the kiddos. What did the hat say to the scarf? You hang around here. I'll go on ahead. 
<laughs> I like that one. Not bad. Okay, one more. We'll see. It's the it's the inflection. It's the way it says it that when you try to tell a joke, it's the it's an area where it sort of falls apart. One more try. Hey Siri, tell me a joke. What do you get when you cross an elephant and a kangaroo? Earthquakes in Australia. <laughs> okay, that one was not bad. That was not bad. Uh, okay. Hey Siri, I am your father. No, no, that's not true. That's impossible. No! Not a, not a Star Wars fan. Um, let us see here. Let's move ahead. Um, hey Siri, are you real? I'm not a person or a robot. I'm software here to help. Okay. Kind of boring. Wow. That, kind of, Siri, that was supposed to be genius. Why do you have to that do was, that? All right. Some of these, you know, so these, this is a bunch of questions that people have said, you got to ask Siri because there's really clever answers to that one was not a clever answer. That was just an answer. All right. Try this one. Hey Siri, when will the world end? The world changes. Sometimes it changes a lot, but last time I checked, it was still around. Okay. Yeah. I mean, not wrong. Not wrong. Got to give her that. It's Not one, wrong. It's one where if you start thinking about it more and more, it starts making more and more sense. And there's different layers to that. I, I'm just, I, again, there must be people at Apple who this is their job every day is just update the Siri answers. Come <laughs> up with a whole new bunch of answers for questions that got asked. What do you do? I'm the joke writer for Apple. Hey Siri, marry me. My end user licensing agreement does not cover marriage. But it okay. could. It well, could. they could change it. I suppose they could change it. Uh, all right. This one could, this one could take a while. We'll see. Let's try this one. Hey Siri, tell me a story. Welcome back to our special version of Goldilocks and the three bears. If you want to pick up where you left off, say, go back to the bear story. Okay. Which bear do you want to be? Mama bear, Papa bear, or baby bear? Papa bear. Okay, Papa Bear. One evening, you and your family take a walk while your porridge cools. We should get back. You say, thinking about all the kitchen clean. All right, that was going to go on for a while. My screen suddenly filled up with words. That was going to go forever. I didn't realize that Siri gives you the option to make a, you know, a choose your own adventure. Yeah, I, I, and I, I'm sitting here as it's happening thinking, wait a second, which one of those choices makes me sound the least goofy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, anyway, all right, a couple more here. There's a couple, there's a few more um, as we go through some of the the questions that people have asked Siri that apparently there are interesting answers for. Some yes, some eh, whiff so far. Uh, let's try this one. Hey, Siri, what cell phone is the best? I think you've already answered that question. Whew. Ah, clever. That's a shot at all the other ones. That's a shot at Samsung right there. They're calling you out, Samsung. I think so. Uh, okay, this should be good. This one says it's good anyway. Hey, Siri, can you dance? I do a pretty mean robot. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Siri, can you dance? I do a pretty mean robot. Nope, sticking with that one. All right. They've, uh, they're they're going to be consistent with that one. Digging her heels in on that one, though. I think so. Um, okay, a couple more. <laughs> All right. Let's try another sexy one, shall we? Hey, Siri, talk dirty to me. The carpet needs vacuuming. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that was dirty. That was dirty. I'm not the kind of dirty I expected, but um, okay. This one, I've been told about this one before. I've never heard the answer, Ben, but I've been told that a lot of people have tried to ask Siri this over the years. I am really hoping that as we ask this, that somewhere at Apple's headquarters, we are not hooked up to a police station right now because this could be problematic. Hey Siri, I need to hide a body. What again? <laughs> <laughs> what again? Yeah, again. Um, okay, two more. I don't know if this is, uh, these, uh, you know what, Ben, I got to tell you, I, I, when I saw this and they said, oh, these are all really clever. There's been a couple of clever ones. A lot of, I think it's just the inflection, but a lot of them are like, hmm, that's the best you can do, Apple. But also all the, 
at the same time, these are still people who have had to think of every I'm, single I'm possible I'm... answer. I know. Well, surely when people ask it, it goes into some giant program and there's someone there again who sees, oh, we didn't have an answer for that one because it'll just say, I don't know. And they come up with an answer for the next day. Let's try this one. Siri, do you have a boyfriend? No, but I'm always dating. Try saying, hey, Siri, what's the date? (laughs) Ah, I like that one. All right. All right. That was clever. All right. That was clever. Um... I don't know. what Ben, give me a question. Any other question that you can think of that we should ask Siri? Hey, Siri, can I have $5? Okay, let's ask it. Hey, Siri, can I have $5? I'm not sure I understand. See, there you go. Now we're into one. By tomorrow, there's going to be an answer for that one. You watch someone at Apple. um, Hey, Siri, what do you think of Hamilton, Ontario? Hmm. I don't have an answer for that. Is there something else I can help with? Well, let me try one more. That was the opportunity, though. That was the chance. You could have fixed everything. Could, it could have been... Um, it could have. We may have it just have. whiffed on the biggest opportunity ever. Hey, Siri, what do you think of Ben? Hmm. I don't have an answer for that. Is there something else I can help with? Nope, not really. <laughs> okay. There you go. That's all for Siri today. We're going to lock... If she can't tell us anything about Ben... What point is she? What what purpose does she serve? All I have to say is this. I will take, hmm, I don't have an answer for that over, oh yeah, he sucks. There, That is true. That is true. So you, at least you got that. Oh, well, that was, uh, that was an interesting experiment. Not quite the, the side splitting chuckle waggle that I had hoped for, but um, you know what? That's, uh, we'll know for next time. Don't ask computers to be funny. But you, it's exactly that. You can now go and express how superior you are to all AI computers ever simply by making jokes. So remember the other day when we were talking about how AI was taking over all the writing of everything? It won't be humor writing. <laughs> Clearly. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.